Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Brian Fabian Crane. Today is August 30th, 2014 and thanks very much for joining us for our 37th episode. So today we're joined by two guests. One of them you know very well, her name is Sean Jones. Uh, we've had her on many times and she's our regulatory correspondent, also the founder of uh, CoinSalt and um, the chair of the regulatory working group at the UK DCA. We're also joined by Thomas Spaas. He's the director of the Belgian Bitcoin Association and he's an international tax lawyer who's also won a, a student pleading contest before the European Court of Justice, uh, which is kind of very relevant. Uh, for today's episode, because today we're going to be tackling uh, a Swedish court case on VAT and what its repercussions will be for Bitcoin. So uh, thanks, guys, for joining us today. Hi. Nice to be back again. Happy to be here. Yep. Um, so, Sean, you're going to be at Inside Bitcoins London. I am indeed, yes. Um, this is uh, one of the series of um, Inside Bitcoin's conferences that are run various places around the world. It's in London uh, on the 15th and 16th of September. And uh, so it's a two-day event. It's got some some, some really great uh, speakers, um, people like Gavin Wood from uh, Ethereum, the, the chief technology officer of Ethereum. Um, in fact, there's quite a lot of focus this year on sort of blockchain two, uh, 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 a sort of a, a main subject matter. There's a, um, a regulatory um, panel with some leading lawyers from the US and UK, also a German lawyer and, and one or two others. Um, so it promises to be another very exciting um, one in the uh, in the series of conferences. And uh, so we're offering a we're partnering with Inside Bitcoins uh, London um, for this uh, for this conference. Sean's going to be there, and we'll uh, perform some interviews and and, uh, and create some content for for future episodes. And so, if you're interested in going to Inside Bitcoins, we're going to be offering a discount code. It'll be in our show notes uh, on our SoundCloud page as well as on our website, and that'll be up. Uh, right after we post this episode. So if you want to go to Inside Bitcoins, uh, we'll have a discount code there for you uh, so you can get a little, a few bucks off. And you can pay with Bitcoin, obviously. Well, let's get started with our topic of today. Uh, is this, this is a topic that I think we've touched on a few times. And uh, it, it's one of those kind of annoying topics in a sense, right? So VAT, it, it, it's a, I guess it's just a necessity of, you know, existing in the European economic system, but and it, it's not as exciting perhaps as talking about Ethereum or, or things far ahead, but it can be absolutely crucial when it comes to Bitcoin acceptance, Bitcoin success as a payment system uh, in the near and medium term future. So I think it's really important that we're touching on this today because uh, some important things are going on at the moment. But perhaps, um, Tomas, can you give us a, a bit of an introduction into what VAT is in the first place? Yeah, would be would be happy to do that. Um, and you'll see that um, 
you you mentioned the word annoying, uh, and that's also how <laughs> how I see the entire uh, problem. Um, already leaping ahead to 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 the conclusion, um, if um, Bitcoin would become subject to VAT, um, it would be very annoying, but it wouldn't kill it. Um, and I'm now going to explain uh, how how it exactly works. So you have VAT, and for international audience, uh, let me explain a little bit about uh, the system. You used to have in the European Union, uh, the different member states used to have uh, sales taxes like you have in the US right now. And, and that would just be a very simple tax. Um, every member state would have its own rates. And each time you sold a product or you sold a sis, uh, or a service, uh, you would have jail, uh, sales tax on that, uh, on that, uh, on that sale. Um, now, um, this system, uh, distorted, uh, the economy somewhat. So just imagine that you have to, uh, apply this sales tax at different rates each time you sell something. Um, so they tried to come up with, uh, more, uh, a smarter system that would also apply, uh, throughout the European Union. Uh, and that is, uh, VAT. Now, VAT means value added, added tax, but that's actually, uh, a bit of a misleading name. Uh, it's actually a consumption tax. So the general idea of VAT is that the final consumer of a product, um, or of a service is the person that will, uh, pay the tax. Um, and all other parties that are not the final consumer, are not subject to that tax. Um, so how does this work uh, in practice? Um, in the European Union, in all, in all member states, if um, you sell something, uh, a product or a service, uh, you need to uh, apply VAT. So that's a percentage and that percentage, it differs uh, in all member states. So we have the same system all over the European Union, but you have different rates uh, in all countries. Uh, countries are still free uh, to set their own rates. Now, uh, in a business-to-business -business context, B2B, um, that tax is uh, neutral because the philosophy of the system is, is that only the final consumers should pay the tax. And when you have businesses uh, selling products or services to each other, um, they would not be subject to the tax. So how does this work in practice? If you're a business selling something uh, to another business, you have to apply VAT, so you apply an extra percentage on the sales price. Uh, the other company pays uh, the price plus the VAT, but they are able to deduct uh, the VAT that they paid. So it's important to see that in a business-to-business -business context, in a pure B2B context, um, the VAT is neutral. It is neutral, but of course, um, there's a lot of red tape involved. You need to make the calculations. Uh, you need to put it, put it on your invoice, etc. And then so all throughout the B2B chain, uh, people uh, add and subtract VAT until we end up with the final consumer, uh, which are 
normally uh, as a general rule those are the uh, individuals just regular people when they buy uh, they're the final consumer of the product of the service so they have to pay the VAT without having the right to subtract the VAT so VAT is um, uh, a consumption tax actually uh, and the final payer or the one who suffers the VAT who has to bear the uh, VAT is the uh, final consumer. So that's the, the, the general uh, philosophy of, of the VAT system uh, that we have in the uh, European Union. Now, um, these rules uh, are harmonized uh, across the EU, meaning that uh, members, member states are free to set their own uh, VAT rates, uh, but the general system, the general principles, uh, those are taken care of at a European level. So that means that in principle, um, the same rules should apply all across the European Union and member states uh, can only, uh, the only input they have is to set uh, their own uh, rates. Um, now, one of these print, uh, really uh, uh, a decision that would be at the level of the principles is the question of should Bitcoin be subject to VAT uh, or not? Um, now, the problem is that uh, all these VAT regulations, they date from the 60s, from the 70s, from the 80s, where you used to have a very simple uh, industrial society and maybe a little bit of a service sector. Uh, but those rules are not adapted to uh, today's economy. So you have all sorts of new phenomena uh, popping up, uh, not only Bitcoin, but for example, also gift vouchers, um, uh, carbon trade uh, rights, and so on and so on. And there's always a question of how do we fit these new things within the old definitions of um, the VAT directives uh, that we have in Europe. And as long as there is no decision at European level, uh, the member states uh, all have their own interpretation and uh, all member states do something different. So uh, specifically for Bitcoin, uh, the UK authorities have said that uh, Broadly speaking, that uh, Bitcoin is outside the scope of the VAT. Uh, France uh, has said uh, that uh, this would also be the approach that they will be taking in the future. Um, other countries take no official position, but uh, they tolerate uh, the fact that there is no VAT on the sale of Bitcoin. Those countries are, for example, uh, Belgium and the Netherlands. And other countries are very explicit in levying uh, VAT on Bitcoin sales. Uh, for example, Poland uh, and Estonia, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So we have different uh, approaches um, in all member states. And um, uh, the general feeling was that it would take a while, maybe five to ten years, for the European Commission or for uh, the European Council to come up with um, uh, 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 a unified or unanimous view on how to treat Bitcoin for VAT purposes. But to everyone's surprise, um, the, this decision will come a lot sooner uh, due to the court case uh, that was, the, or at least the, the, the dispute 
that was started by Mr. Hedqvist uh, of Sweden. Um, perhaps I'll explain now a little bit how this uh, European uh, process uh, works. So um, when um, uh, European regulation is at issue, such as uh, VAT, all courts in all countries uh, all, uh, all over the European Union, they have the right to ask questions uh, to the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg uh, and ask the European Court of Justice in Luxembourg to clarify uh, some aspects. So that's, that is exactly what happened here. So you had uh, a local Swedish dispute between Mr. Hedquist and the Swedish tax authorities. It ended up uh, before all the administrative courts uh, in Sweden. And now the Supreme Administrative Court of Sweden has asked the uh, European Court of Justice uh, to clarify the issue. Um, are the sale, when, when you sell uh, Bitcoin, um, to another person or company, do you need to charge VAT or not? Um, also well, I, thought, to note, I thought it was yeah. just on the mm -hmm. fee. Exactly, exactly. So the dispute started, uh, the discussion started, um, it was indeed only about the fees. Eh? So the Mr. Hedquist's original dispute started um, uh, with a discussion about VAT on the transaction fee, on the margin that he earns each time somebody buys uh, Bitcoin uh, from its website. So just to clarify, this is not the transaction fee of the miner to be no. distinguished. This is the fee that he charges, for instance, one or 2% on top of the sale of the transaction. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The, the case is specifically um, in Sweden is specifically about uh, exchanges, um, fees and margins. And, 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 and that rather ironically, um, Mr. Hedquist um, uh, unwittingly kicked off this whole process because he simply got in touch with his local tax office to find out in advance to get a, 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 an initial decision before he started trading um, on his uh, website. I think it's bitcoin.se. Uh, and he wanted a, an advanced decision in order to, to plan his business. And it's really um, mushroomed from there. Yeah. So the, when, a, when a court, when a national court asks something, uh, to the, uh, European Court of Justice, um, they have some leeway in formulating the questions. And what we have here is that the Supreme Administrative Court of Sweden, uh, formulated the question so broadly that it's not only about the transaction fee uh, anymore, but that it's about, uh, the VAT status of Bitcoin in general. So uh, a, a local small Swedish dispute uh, bloomed into yeah the, the the a case that will determine the the fate of Bitcoin in Europe. That's what happened. So essentially, you know, all of these questions that countries have been asking themselves about whether or not VAT will be subject to Bitcoin transactions is now being put on the table, and this will be definitively the answer on. Um, you know, will VAT be applied to Bitcoin sales throughout the EU? Yeah, exactly. So, and not just uh, transaction fees, but the actual sale of the Bitcoin. So, the if, actual if, sale if you sell hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, hundred euros worth of Bitcoin, you would have uh, VAT applied to that. So, if, it, if you're in France, that's nineteen percent. If you're in the UK, it's whatever twenty one percent. Twenty, twenty, okay. twenty percent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
um, let let me interject here with a question. So in Germany, there's also been a statement from the finance ministry uh, recently, and they said in their view, or they recommended, I think, the, the different states um, that a VAT should be charged on uh, the sale of Bitcoin. And the, their reasoning was that they basically looked at, you know, here here is a law, there are different uh, categories of um, of services that are exempt, and uh, Bitcoin isn't classified as any of those, so hence it falls out of those categories, and there is a category of uh, as other services. So they said because it's none of those other things, it has to be another service, and VAT needs to be charged on other services, hence VAT needs to be charged. So I'm curious if there's going to be something on a European level how does that interact with something like that? Does that mean they will have to also define what Bitcoin is in order to say where the VAT needs to be charged on it or not? That's precisely the implication of this case that's before the uh, European Court of Justice. Um, it may well flow from this decision, uh, a decision about what is Bitcoin, what are virtual currencies. And this is something which is not established in any court anywhere in Europe. There are decisions so far about how it should be treated in some member states for tax purposes. In fact, the UK was the first country to really make a, um, a, a take a position on this back in, in March this year, and a very favourable one in which it, uh, it decided that Bitcoin works like money, so should be regarded like money, even though it isn't actually money. Um, and as a consequence of this, um, uh, one is able to take advantage of certain exemptions that apply to financial type services. Uh, other um, member states, as Thomas has mentioned, um, have said quite the opposite. Um, but along the way to reaching this tax decision, the court may well make statements or clarify precisely in legal terms what this thing called Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or virtual currencies is. And that has huge implications. So to what extent is the, the question of what Bitcoin is, to what extent is that uh, a question that will be answered by uh, courts versus uh, the European Parliament? Is that something that uh, maybe the Parliament's going to come back to and say, no, this is different? Or is it likely that whatever the court decides will for the foreseeable future also be the way it is treated? Well, the way that it works is that laws are made by um, the European Parliament and the Council, um, the European Council, which is essentially representatives of the governments of each of the member states. And it's a, it's a, a, a complex system um, between those two entities, but it's essentially a, um, a democratic system for making laws, a parliamentary type system. The, the laws are then interpreted, if necessary, if they're not clear, as is the case here with Bitcoin. Bitcoin didn't exist when the VAT directive was um, decided, and some 
many years ago. And so it falls on the courts, if it's referred to them, to make a decision about how to interpret this new thing against the existing laws. And that interpretation, what the courts decide, will remain the case until the law is changed, if if, if, if it ever is, by, again, a, a parliamentary process. So the courts may well decide one thing, um, and we need to all understand, typically, the European Court of Justice can take one, two years, even more sometimes, to reach a decision. But once it makes a decision, that decision will uh, apply um, forever or until the law is then changed by um, by the uh, by the parliament. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, and it and it could the it's very difficult to to predict uh, the uh, the decision of the court at this point. Uh, they may rule uh, on all aspects of Bitcoin. Uh, they may focus uh, on just a few aspects. Um, they may uh, ha have a very brief decision uh, and send it back to the uh, national court to decide. So right now, uh, everything's on the table. Everything's possible uh, today at this point. Thomas, uh, you said it exactly earlier on. Uh, the, the question as it was posed by the Swedish Su uh, Supreme Administrative Court to the European Court of Justice is in such uh, broad terms that it it gives leeway, and maybe it was intentional, maybe it was unintentional, but it gives leeway for the European uh, uh, sorry, the European Court of Justice to decide in the most narrow terms, in other words, in the terms that the Swedish case is about, or in the broadest terms, in other words, right the way through to a decision as to what is exactly. what is Bitcoin in legal terms. And we have no idea how, how it will be addressed by the court. They have huge discretion in looking at a question and uh, uh, what they decide they're going to decide on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so uh, assuming that it does happen and they say VAT needs to be charged on Bitcoin and not just uh, the fees that exchanges charge, but generally when you sell Bitcoin. Uh, what would the repercussions be of that? Uh, what would uh, Bitcoin's use as a payment system look like? Could merchants still say we accept Bitcoin? Uh, can you guys speculate on that? Uh, yeah, I, um, well, the main impact according to me would be for uh, consumers. The main impact would be for people uh, who buy uh, bitcoins from uh, a website, for example, uh, they would have to pay VAT. Then, of course, a whole uh, host of, of different issues arises. Uh, at what rate? Uh, if I buy it uh, from a website uh, in my own country, it's still quite clear that it should be the local VAT rate. Um, if it's uh, from a website in a different uh, country, are we talking about uh, a distance sale, uh, as it's called in, in VAT lingo? Um, so that would open uh, up uh, a whole host of, of, of extra questions. But the main implication would be for individuals buying something off a business. Different, uh, it would be different, yeah. Wouldn't that just mean that people would only buy VAT uh, from exchanges that are outside the EU? Uh, 
Um, yeah, but if I were the uh, tax authorities in such a case, I would try to make even those uh, providers outside the EU, I would try to find a way to, to still uh, charge my VAT on the local rates. I don't know how they would do this, uh, but that's probably the response of the tax authorities. Now, there is another very interesting aspect. I'm talking about a company selling to an individual. Now, if it's, an, if it's an, a sale between individuals, then it becomes more interesting because it could be argued that if when you have a sale between individuals, uh, as long as uh, those individuals don't make it their business or their main business uh, to sell uh, bitcoins and stay below the some thresholds which are different from country, uh, which are different in every country, um, if you would have such a sale between individuals, that you would still have no VAT on those bitcoins. You can compare it to buying something of a, a second uh, a website that offers uh, second-hand products. Uh, if I buy some old furniture uh, from another individual, um, there will be no VAT on that. And even if Bitcoin uh, becomes subject to VAT, I believe the same principles should apply. Uh, if you have sales between individuals, um, those uh, sales uh, should still be uh, VAT exempt. So, um, does that mean if a company bought bitcoins from an individual, um, they would not have to pay VAT on that? Or, I mean, the individual would not have to charge the company VAT on that, of course. That's correct, yeah, I think so. So, uh, what kind of arbitrage opportunities uh, would such things arise here that you could essentially scam the government? Of course, um, and um, now it, it's 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 worth looking at the the VAT system uh, in general again. There is a reason that financial instruments such as uh, securities and uh, regular fiat money. There is a reason why trading in those. Uh, um, uh, transferable stuff why they are exempt they are not exempt from VAT because the government wouldn't like to tax them as a general rule uh, governments like to tax anything that moves uh, but they are exempt because it's so easy to create uh, arbitrage opportunities and also because it's so, uh, because it's very easy for uh, f uh, fraudsters to uh, pocket the VAT themselves. You could have in a, in a very simple a very simple way this could work is saying, uh, okay, uh, I establish a company just for a month. I'm going to sell Bitcoin to consumers with VAT and uh, I just pocket the, the VAT myself and I'm gone. Um, and if you do this in a cross-border context, you have what is called the VAT carousel. Um, so if we would make Bitcoin uh, subject to VAT, I, I don't think that uh, governments will raise uh, much money from it. It would mainly create a lot of uh, hassle, red tape from everyone and um, uh, yeah, would just uh, make it difficult for everyone and uh, the national treasuries might even lose money. There's examples um, in the past of, of exactly that happening. Um, uh, it was very popular at one point in time to move um, a very small size um, uh, electronic components like chips across borders and um, perform these kind of carousel um, frauds. Um, 
they cottoned on to this, but after losing probably hundreds of millions, if not more, in um, in VAT fraud. And uh, because they were physical goods, there was a little bit more control. But you can imagine um, goods and services that travel over the internet are much harder. There are no real borders. And so it's very much easier to perpetrate these kind of frauds. And uh, the most recent example of that, I think, was in um, carbon trading. Um, and billions were, were lost by the um, uh, you know, cumulative, but, uh, cumulatively by the member states uh, of the EU in exactly this kind of fraud. And there's the risk, the very real risk, that if Bitcoin became um, subject to VAT, positive rates of VAT, that a similar thing would uh, would happen, um, and that certainly would not be good for 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 Bitcoin um, generally. Probably lead to the governments having to 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 do what they did with carbon trading, I believe, which was to then make it um, uh, exempt. Is that right, Thomas? Yeah. So in some countries they already exempted it. Uh, in other countries they tried to find different. Uh, uh, different solutions, but what is clear is that they, uh, if you make fast moving, uh, consumer goods, um, which have a high value when you make them subject to VAT, uh, you are opening a lot of opportunities for, uh, for criminals to, uh, pocket the VAT themselves. So even from a government perspective, there are very good reasons, uh, not to make uh, Bitcoin subject to VAT. I just want to go back to what I was going to say earlier. I think it's important to perhaps even recognize the difference between a Bitcoin exchange and an over-the-counter bureau like Coinbase, for instance. Um, and this, this is something that somebody pointed out earlier in an, in an email conversation we had, Thomas, um, that an exchange doesn't actually sell Bitcoins. An exchange is simply a matching, uh, an order book matching engine. And to and and they don't ever take ownership of those bitcoins the bitcoins don't belong to that exchange so they're not in fact selling them they're just providing a service which is order matching uh, which is contrary to coinbase for instance where they actually sell you the bitcoins they own the bitcoins and they sell them to you so it, it would seem logical that bitcoin exchanges would not be subject to vat for the sale of the bitcoins but only for the for the service that they provide, which is transactions, which I, th- I think what uh, what this uh, this Swedish gentleman was trying to uh, to, to to get at, but uh, got entangled in this whole question of does, do those bitcoins have to be subject to VAT? But if if you look at it, you know, if you if you take a step back and look at it, that the exchange doesn't own them, so why would they have to sell to, to charge VAT on those transactions? Uh, no, I, I agree. Uh, so, so it's it's logical that an exchange uh, that never takes ownership of the Bitcoin uh, only has to deal with VAT uh, on the on the transaction fee uh, that they charge. Uh, but on the other hand, for the uh, the client uh, of the exchange, uh, that opens uh, a whole host of, uh, of issues. For example, uh, let's say that I'm a company offering uh, offering my bitcoins on that exchange um, uh, so that other people can buy them. Uh, what happens uh, when a consumer uh, in Belgium buys something of a company in Sweden through an exchange in France? Uh, I think that's a VAT nightmare. Um, and it's not only a nightmare for the, the seller and, and the consumer, 
but it would also be a nightmare, I think, for the exchange because probably uh, they're going to try to enforce their VAT rules uh, by um, making the uh, exchange in some way responsible for uh, compliance with VAT rules. So I agree that uh, the exchanges are not directly impacted, but they could very well be impacted uh, because all the compliance burden uh, would be shifted to them. So, yeah, they are concerned. And, of course, you could have that uh, an exchange has both business customers and individual customers, and one, you know, the businesses would have to charge VAT and the individuals wouldn't, and then you have, like, two different... But you could buy Bitcoins at two different prices on the exchange. Yeah, no? so it's, it's a nightmare also for exchanges, I think. And, and it's not just limited to intra-European trading. It undoubtedly would affect trading between European member states and um, countries' jurisdictions outside. Uh, there are examples of this having been the case with other forms of electronic trading. So, um, for example, uh, software downloads um, uh, where... Um, you know, the, it was similarly borderless in terms of, you know, it was delivered over the internet, so it didn't really matter. And maybe you didn't even know where, where it was being downloaded from. Um, but uh, gradually, um, so much revenue was being lost um, in VAT that um, countries began to impose the requirements on um, traders outside the European Union. So they would say to a software company in the United States, for example, if you're selling or when you're selling your software for download to somebody in the European Union, then you needed to pl apply VAT and if necessary, become registered for VAT somewhere in the, in the European Union or get someone to do it for you to account for it and so on. And that makes it even more of a nightmare. Now, I have a question. Now, you, you said earlier that uh, you know, VAT rules were established in, in the 1960s and 70s where, when it, our economy was mostly based on, on, on industry and none of this new stuff that's now coming up uh, existed. As services become even more complex and we have more international trade and, on, and bring on top of that, decentralization and peer-to-peer -peer services so take for instance store j when you're not buying you're not buying directly from a company but you're potentially buying from dozens or hundreds of, of, of different people uh for like you're buying hosting space essentially from from other people this this vat question is going to be coming up again and again and again and again on all these new types of services and and and, and and markets that are that are emerging, are we going to need just flat out VAT reform at some point to to uh, reset all these rules that so that they can apply to these new economies? Well, then we're, we're more talking about uh, I think the tax system in general, not only about VAT but also income taxes. All these new types of services that are popping up, like for example. Uh, uh, not only decentralized services, but also services in the sharing economy, like you have Airbnb, Uber, uh, and all that other, uh, all those new things. From a, from an income tax and from a VAT perspective, uh, it will become uh, quite difficult for governments to uh, apply the current systems uh, to these new phenomena. 
And especially as a lot of those transactions will move to crypto, would presumably move to cryptocurrencies. I mean, we, we can assume that in maybe five, 10 years from now, a lot of those uh, of those peer to peer sales would be done with Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a, it is a, if, if we take the position that we still want to have some form of government, I don't, uh, I, I know that not everybody in the Bitcoin community uh, agrees with this position. Uh, but let's take the position that we still need a government that would still um, needs to be able to raise taxes. Uh, you can look at other other systems in the world, uh, which may be more effective. Uh, if we take, for example, uh, Hong Kong, uh, it has a very simple uh, income tax uh, system. It has, uh, I, there was a discussion about a general sales tax, but I didn't know. I don't know if that goes. Yeah, they have it. They have a GST. Yeah, they have it now. Um, but the the general idea is, uh, you can still raise the revenue. Uh, from things that are easily visible uh, and are easily taxed. And then I'm thinking about uh, homes, real estate, for example, uh, and big ticket uh, items, uh, your Ferrari, your, uh, your, your car, uh, what have you. And what will probably happen is that uh, as governments become more and more powerless to uh, raise revenues through their traditional taxes, that uh, they will move towards uh, some sort of tax on-site system. Uh, because even if you have a lot of Bitcoins, at a point in time, you will want to live in a, in a nice house and drive a nice car and so on. So it can be expected that that will be the point uh, where you pay the most taxes. So that's the tax shift uh, you're probably going to see as a result. But that's, yeah, that's about the philosophy of the system in general. I want to correct something. I don't think actually it was Hong Kong that went ahead with GST. I think they dropped it, but a um, number of other, particularly around uh, the Asian regions, there were uh, similar types of um, uh, tax proposed and, and, and brought in. In fact, one of them is Australia, and maybe we'll have time at the end just to, to talk about that um, because it has similar implications there. So before we uh, move on, uh, just very briefly, it, it, do, are we going to know anything during that uh, decision-making process or are we just basically going to be totally in the unknown until uh, a year from now or something like that, there will be a decision? Uh, no. So you will have uh, an advance warning uh, because first uh, you have um, a specialist, uh, which is called the Advocate General. And the Advocate General is first going to write uh, his or hers uh, opinion uh, on the matter. Can we put specialists in air quotes? Yes. With, with regards uh, to no, Bitcoin? No, 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 no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't under, underestimate uh, these people. Um, I think they're, they, they, um, often they, they, they make good points, but, um, they will first write a report. Uh, and in most cases, the court will, uh, follow, uh, the conclusions of the advocate general. And um, so timing wise, I talked to multiple experts and we're talking about uh, a year from now or so, and then everybody expects that we will know more or less, uh, where we're at. But they won't be the, the the member states won't be able to to do anything about it until the court, as a whole, has ratified that decision or modified it. Although, as you're absolutely right, Thomas, there's very few cases where where the court even adds anything to it. It's really a rubber stamp of the of the advocate general's um, 
uh, recommendation, isn't it? So can we can we start a, a crowdfunding campaign to purchase some uh, some judges on the European Court of Justice? Uh, they're very well paid, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything's possible. But, uh, of course, they are. They sit in Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> no, but is there a way that because the this gentleman in uh, in Sweden uh, is is taking this court uh, to to the EU level and is paying lawyers to do that. And so is there a way that uh, the community can support him in doing that? Well, actually, it's interesting because he he um, opened up the, the need for crowdfunding his defense. He didn't actually take it to, to, to Europe. He just asked his local tax office, what, uh, you know, what, what, what's the situation here? And uh, they said, well, we're not really sure. We think, yes, the exchange fees should be. And there was a little sort of, discussion and dispute about that and so they said right well, let, let the administrative court decide this was still within sweden and they said they looked at the rules and they said well we don't know so uh, these things didn't exist when the vat exemptions were defined so let's ask the court in in luxembourg to uh, to interpret the law and um, he's almost been sucked into this process of going to the european court because um, you know, he was a, a small business asking a little local question that now he's having to fund um, a, 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 a case uh, where he needs to be represented in order to submit his observation. If, um, if he doesn't um, submit an observation to the court, the court can't consider it. The court can only dis uh, consider those things that are put before it in the case. So obviously the Swedish tax authority will put its observations before the court. The court already has the, the papers from the Swedish court that essentially say what the case is about and what it is they want, to, want some sort of decision on. And so it's really up to Mr. Hedquist to come up with, if you like, the counter-argument um, even though he's even not yet started his business. So uh, a little over a week ago, he posted on Reddit and one or two other places um, saying, look, I, I've been sucked into this thing. I, it, I don't have this kind of money that's needed to go to the European court. Can, um, you know, let's start a crowdfunding exercise to pay for lawyers who could do this. And he uh, managed to secure uh, an as yet an anonymous uh, donation earlier this week uh, to at least fund it through the first stages. Um, he had a lot of uh, offers of support from uh, legal experts. I think Thomas, you and, and others in, in conjunction with you were um, involved in offering various services pro bono if he wasn't able to raise the funds. Um, so that it wouldn't go unanswered, that his position wouldn't be put before the court. And fortunately, he's been able to uh, to get some funding to to at least take it to the first stage where he can put in written trend, uh, sort of written submissions. So should we uh, perhaps move on to uh, other topics with regards to uh, legislation and taxes, like Australia, for instance? Uh, yes, Australia is um, sort of very... Um, came out with its decision on its version of VAT. They call it the Goods and Services Tax, GST, uh, just uh, in the last week or so. 
And basically the questions that they were having to consider were pretty much the same thing. Is this thing money, in which case it's treated as one thing? If it's not money, does it fall under any of the exemptions for financial services? They're not identical to the to the to the exemptions in Europe, but very similar. And it's been mulling over this question for around about uh, I think three to six months now. And um, it promised to come up with a decision in the summer. It was a few weeks late, but essentially. Um, it looked at the definitions and found that under the definitions in Australian law, Bitcoin doesn't and can't be classed as money as it's currently um, uh, in force. Um, money for these purposes in Australia can only be legal tender, and it doesn't fall under any of the existing Australian exemptions for financial services. And so it came to the inevitable conclusion, therefore, that as GST is otherwise applicable on all goods and services, that uh, VAT would need to be charged. And so here is an example of this double taxation effect. Um, if you're buying a cup of coffee, there's the GST on the cup of coffee. Um, but equally, if you're paying for it with Bitcoin, there's also VAT on the Bitcoin as well. Uh, because it's like a barter transaction. And indeed, that was the conclusion the Australians came up with. Now, it's only a preliminary decision right now. The um, Well, it is a decision, but it's uh, uh, up for uh, comment. Um, I believe there's a, a, a matter of, of more than just a few weeks, but certainly there's a little bit of time for Australians to make their views known and for the matter to be re-examined, but barring um, somebody coming up with something that the tax lawyers working for the tax authority in Australia coming up with something that's been missed, which is unlikely, um, I doubt that it's going to change the interpretation of the law as it stands. So what would this mean for a company like CoinJar that has been selling Bitcoins uh, to individuals for uh, several years and has been doing merchant processing as well. So as it's a business, and as with VAT in Europe, it only applies to people who are selling Bitcoin as a, as a business, as a trade, um, then that subject, yes, it would be. So Yeah, that, that would be the case here, right? So would they have to go back uh, uh, two years or however long they've been operating and pay the sales tax on all their past uh, Bitcoin trades? I mean, in that case, they'll probably have to shut down the company, I presume. I honestly don't know. Thomas, do you know whether it's retrospective? Um, I don't think so. So in the past, we've, we've had uh, similar uh, situations uh, where the European Court of Justice, for example, decided uh, uh, that uh, the VAT did apply to some transaction or other. Uh, I don't think uh, that uh, this was a huge problem uh, for businesses. Uh, they can always say, well, I, I based what I did was based on, on, on my national regulations. So uh, I don't think um, I, I don't think that's um, uh, 
uh, a reasonable uh, scenario. I think um, uh, no, I doubt it. I doubt. I doubt it that uh, that it would work uh, retroactively. I I haven't seen anything um, yet from the uh, Australian tax authority to suggest that they're looking to go back over time to make it retrospective. In fact, I. I, I always like looking at the nuances um, uh, underpinning um, the the statements that are put out by various um, official entities, and I, I I get the feeling from the way that some statements have been made by the um, commissioner for for tax um, in, in 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 Australia. Uh, he, uh, I think his name is Chris Jordan, and he gave an interview to Coin Telegraph uh, recently. Uh, in which he suggested that um, you know this. Uh, in fact, he made it quite plain that that this is an interpretation under the existing law, um, but really opening up the possibility that the law could be changed if Bitcoin um, gained enough traction to make it you know to get enough focus on it. Now, to me, that suggests for him to make that kind of comment. He's really suggesting that he may not really totally agree with it that this is the right thing it's just how it is under the law at the moment and almost uh, pointing policymakers in the direction of changing the law and this comes back to um brian your earlier question about um you know do courts make decisions in this case a, a form of regulator the tax authority is making a decision based on its interpretation of the law um but it can all the law can always be changed if it um, you know to address new situations and uh, as Thomas said earlier you know we've got all these new phenomena and the law is 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 always working in arrears the, the law is always working on how it is or indeed how it was yesterday before it gets around to addressing it meanwhile we've already moved on and you know this whole subject is wider than just fiscal policy, in other words, taxes, it's wider than currencies and money. It it stretches throughout all kinds of law and with things that are on the horizon, the, the blockchain 2 technologies with what Ethereum and others are doing with smart contracts and distributed organizations. Uh, the law, I can predict one thing, the law has a huge amount of catching up to do over the next five to 10 years, a huge amount to, to catch up with because everything is changing. Yeah, I agree. And you know, a, lot, a lot of this uh, re regulation stuff that we see and that, that we see happening and we kind of find just mind bogglingly <laughs> stupid because we feel like the governments are not getting it. It's just because they're applying it to existing regulatory frameworks and existing incumbents. But when this all starts taking shape and taking more importance within our society, that's when really we're going to start seeing serious, serious changes in the way that things are taxed and the way that laws work and the way the governments work, etc. So I think it's only a matter of time until we have that shift and it's it's going it's it's happening faster and faster. Yes, and governments are are, are actually facing 
um, a measure of redundancy. And I'm not talking about this from the sort of um, libertarian perspective, but rather just the pragmatic one that uh, a lot of the things that they do, like raising taxes and um, regulating entities and controlling and authorizing entities to, to function in their jurisdictions, a lot of these things are actually just being democratized and taken away from them or will be over these next few years. Now, Sean, you want to uh, talk about BitLicense. Uh, I know this is a topic that we've covered extensively before, but there seems to be a, always some new things happening with BitLicense. So, uh. Oh, only very, very briefly to say that um, uh, it's raised so many controversial questions in New York um, that the New York Department of Financial Services and the uh, financial superintendent, Ben Lorsky, have uh, decided to extend the feedback period. There was a, a period of um, 45 days uh, from when it was published, officially published, uh, that's due to expire at the end of this coming week, uh, I think around 6th, 7th of September, and that they have given in to pressure to extend the feedback period and add another 45 days. So we've got well into October for folks to let their views be known. And then um, start blocking New York companies. Well, it's, 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 it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, one of the reasons it's more complicated is that the, the way particularly that the New York regulations, as they're currently drafted, will apply. They have huge extraterritorial reach and they apply to more or less uh, any kind of connection with New York. So let's say I... I live in um, I live in China, but I I, I spend um, a few weeks a year in an apartment that I own or rent in New York, where I run a um, uh, or where even I'm just an investor in a in an, of course a, an upcoming Bitcoin company, and um, I just happen to uh, to visit there, but for slightly extended periods, but not necessarily enough to to qualify as a, a full time. So legal resident of the US, but just enough to be associated with New York. And I, I come to, 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 to Lille and um, I want to exchange some, uh, some Bitcoin. Um, but because of my association with New York, uh, you would have to treat me as a, you know, a New Yorker, even in our face-to-face -face or local transaction. And that has huge, huge implications because, you know, if you were to sell me some Bitcoin, um, other than in exchange for some goods or services, in other words, just a, as a merchant, but as a, as I say, an exchange transaction, uh, you, Sebastian, would, would, would be breaking New York law. And uh, when you go and visit your old aunt in, um, in Canada and you stop over in New York to change planes, uh, you could get arrested if they knew about you. I'm exaggerating here to make a point, but it has happened in the past in other fields. But a very good point, yeah, and it has happened in the past. Yes, I mean this is this has happened uh, with uh, bank accounts already to an extent. You know, uh, I was uh, filling out uh, this bank account transfer form the other day, and you know, one of the questions on there is, you know, were you born in America or are you an American? And uh, I know, for example, you know, in Switzerland. Uh, basically, they made all Americans close uh, their bank accounts. And I, I think even if you're an expat in Switzerland, as far as I know, I, I could be slightly wrong, 
it's very difficult to get a, a national bank account because uh, it's so risky for the banks and and it's such a nightmare. So um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a big mess. But of course, I think you know one thing is to try to make this a, a apply in some sort of old fashioned system like with banks where they do KYC anyway. Uh, it's a totally different thing to try to make this work with cryptocurrencies, which I just don't think there's any way. You know, this is just the start, and who knows where this thing's going to go. So New York proposals are very broad-reaching, and and I know folks outside of the States and outside of um, New York in particular, um, folks in Europe and elsewhere probably think that it's not a big deal for them. Uh, they'll just block New York IP addresses. Um, it really depends on your business model and whether you ever plan to go to the States again as to whether you want to, to take certain risks. I think folks outside of the US at least need to be aware of it, need to be informed that there are implications of these proposal uh, from these, you know, that flow from these proposals and uh, should at least weigh them up. And if nothing else, make their views known um, the, the, on the New York um, DFS website. There's information about how you can lodge your feedback, and, and it would certainly you know, be good to add, add one's voice if you feel that this extraterritorial reach is, um, is excessive. Interestingly enough, um, it was also announced this last week that North Carolina – um, another of the U.S. states has uh, determined. I think it was its their sort of board of banks, um, uh, sort of its banking supervisor, has decided that um, actually their existing money transmitter laws already apply to um, certain kinds of Bitcoin business. Nowhere near as far-reaching an application uh, scope as New York, uh, but that you know they don't need to come up with any new. Um, Bitcoin specific technology specific regulations they 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 argue that they already exist and again they do have some extra ter- extraterritorial reach in that if you do business with somebody who is a um, North Carolina resident uh, you may be subject to them even if you or your business is not in um, North Carolina. So, you know, where do we stop uh, blocking IPs? Uh, how extensive a set of questions do we have to ask of folks who may have some sort of American connection? It, it, it's um, it's it's quite worrying in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've kind of come to the end of our show, but uh, thanks so much for joining us today to uh, talk about this topic, which I think is going to be a a very important topic for uh, the future of Bitcoin, uh, especially in this kind of transition period, I guess, as we go from the traditional financial system to um, a decentralized uh, cryptocurrency system. Um, Now, if... Guys, want to uh, learn more about you or get involved, uh, Thomas? Is there what's the best way to reach you? Uh, you can reach me through the the website of the Belgian Bitcoin Association, which is www.bitcoinassociation.be, and there you can find uh, more information. And you can also reach me there. And we'll link to that in the in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link to that, and of course, uh, Sean. People can reach you at at your website, which is yes, coinsult dot eu, c o i n s u l t dot eu. We're busy at the moment um, setting up 
uh, a public affairs office in Brussels to address ourselves at the European Commission and the European Parliament. There's so many things going on in Europe. And, and we're also busy setting up a, a regulatory compliance office in the Isle of Man, which is a, a very interesting new jurisdiction. So we're very busy this autumn. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we look forward to being back next week. If you want to support the show, what you can do is leave, leave a iTunes review. It helps people find it and it helps us a lot. You can also leave us a tip. Uh, of course, we accept Bitcoin tips. <laughs> and you can do that at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. Uh, finally, if you're interested, you can uh, subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out every Friday and discusses what's been going on in the Bitcoin world. And you can do that at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in and we look forward to being back next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye.